Welcome to the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover, and with me is our host and teacher, Chris Katolka. I want to encourage you right at the outset to visit our website, foiradio.org. foiradio.org, there you can find out more information about our program, the Friends of Israel Today, but you can also visit our archive pages and listen to six years worth of Chris's teachings. Again, visit us at foiradio.org. And another good reason for you to go to foiradio.org is because we're actually continuing a conversation that we had with Dr. Michael Zviegel, who is the department chair and professor of theological studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. And we're continuing our discussion on church history, on the development of doctrine. And today we're actually going to go down even deeper and we're going to begin to look at that kind of transition point that happened. Remember, the early church was predominantly Jewish uh, and there were more Jewish believers at that time than there were Gentiles. But at some point, that transition happened. And the questions I'm going to ask Dr. Zviegel are all related to whether or not that had an impact on the doctrines that we believe in today. It's going to be a fantastic discussion with Dr. Michael Zviegel. But first in the news, earlier this month, the representative for the Islamic Republic of Iran Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei called for the elimination of Israel in a sermon where he said, quote, the global arrogance led by America with complicity of Israel seeks to delay the realization of an important issue, which is the destruction of the Zionist regime. You know, this is just disgusting to me, Steve, to hear again from Iran this this desire to destroy Israel. Uh, when he talks about destroying the Zionist regime, I think it's important for our audience, our Christian audience to know Zionism is the belief that the Jewish people have a right to exist in their ancient homeland, which is Israel. And so he's talking about pushing the Jewish people out of the land of Israel. And you know what? I really think it's time for the voices of Iranian people to rise up against this disgusting hatred of the Jewish people. You know, voices like Iranian dissident Shayna Vujudi, who said, we Iranians are tired of their, the leaders, their Iranian leaders, we're tired of their anti-Semitism. We have a long history with the Jewish people and we want to be able to revive that 2,700 year old friendship. Shayna, we stand with you. I'm excited to welcome back Dr. Michael Zviegel. Uh, he's department chair and professor of theological studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. It's great to have you back on the program, Mike. Thanks for having me again. Uh, so last week we we talked about um, kind of the, uh, you know, I, I coined it uh, the development of doctrine, but really talking more about the core um, the, the, the core foundational doctrines of, of the faith, uh, which are, which are really, really important and, and really the kind of the failures in some way of the evangelical church right now, as we're seeing, um, the, the kind of the sloppy doctrine that we see mm -hmm. in evangelicalism right now, that people are embracing, uh, uh, false truths, uh, about something as, uh, as important as the Trinity. And so last week, uh, we talked with, Dr. Spiegel about that. And so if you're interested in hearing that uh, uh, message, you can go to foiradio.org and you'll find it in our archives page. It's fantastic. Um, but, you know, today I, I want to move us into um, more how the early church was influenced by the culture that it was growing up in. Uh, you know, the earliest church from Acts chapter two through Acts chapter 10 was basically all Jewish. Uh, they were Jewish people who were coming to faith in, in in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, the temple was still standing in Jerusalem. Peter and John and even Paul were preaching the Messiah Christ uh, uh, in the temple. And, and we know that the Jerusalem council 
that was led um, by the Apostle James was dealing with the issues in the earliest church at that time as it relates to the Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus. Uh, so the scriptures, even the scriptures actually were, were, were the Old Testament text. There was no uh, uh, New Testament that was the uh, canon that right. the church was using at that time. There were letters going around. But early on in the history of the church, a transition started to happen uh, away from Jerusalem as more Gentiles were coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I guess, uh, Mike, my first question is, did that transition happen early in the church where we see Gentile influence becoming more prominent uh, than the Jewish influence in the church? Was that something that was going on early in, uh, in the in the, uh, the church history that, that was happening there? Yeah, um, probably from our perspective, yes. You know, we, we begin to see a falling out of church and synagogue and, and Jewish as well as Gentile believers um, really after the destruction of the temple and then after uh, the Bar Kokhba revolt, especially, and maybe some of your listeners can, can look that up in the 130s, um, and that really kind of, uh, we see this parting of the ways of sort of the Jewish forms of early Christianity and the Gentile forms. But I would say it's a little bit more of a gradual process. And this is one of those things, I'll be honest, it's, it's discussed and debated among scholars, as is almost everything. But I'm of the opinion that really Jewish Christians and the Old Testament and, and some of these concerns continued to exercise some influence on even uh, the church that was becoming increasingly in, in majority Gentile, probably for a few hundred years. Um, really? And, and, and I'll mention some people. Yeah, I think uh, there's a book, uh, Oscar Scarsoni, um, In the Shadow of the Temple, that does kind of propose uh, an interesting thesis that even through the Council of Nicaea, there was some influence. But I do not want to make it sound like it was all, you know, just in cream, because there were, as we'll discuss, I'm sure, some um, some deviations and some some changes that are occurring because of the influence of Greek philosophy and, and Greek culture as well. Yeah. You know, it, for our listeners, too, um, as Mike was saying, the Bar Kokhba revolt, this does become very important because this is a decisive moment where the the Jewish believers have to make a choice as to whether or not they're going to embrace and, you know, the really the nationalism of Israel that's connected to the messianism, yeah. or they're going to follow Jesus, the Messiah, who's sitting at the right hand of the father, or are they going to follow this false Messiah, yeah. Bar Kokhba? And this is a real defining moment uh, for the early church as well, not just the fall of the temple, but that Bar Kokhba revolt, uh, who was a false Messiah. Right. That's exactly right. And, and it, these kinds of events, current events, and then the developments really do have an impact. We sometimes don't realize the influence they have even on the development of theology. Yeah, you know, we're not denying the, a national future for Israel when we say that, but we're saying we believe Jesus right. is the king of Israel and Bar Kokhba wasn't. Exactly. And that was a major decisive moment for them. And so, you know, last week uh, we talked about the the development of doctrine. Um, was the early church, you know, as as this is happening, as as, they, as they're looking at the scriptures and, 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 and kind of really putting it in, in a systematized order to help, you know, give a foundation for the church to stand on, as they were doing this, uh, was the early church influenced by the Greco-Roman culture that was surrounding them um, as they were putting these foundational tenets of our faith in order, uh, or even maybe even the methods of interpreting the scriptures as well? Did, was the Roman Greco-Roman culture influencing that at all? Yeah, and I, I think that's that is the case. And now we can look at this in two ways, positively and negatively. And I think <laughs> our listeners will realize it's the same today. Uh, are we communicating in a language and using images and, and concepts that are making the gospel clearer and easier to understand for people, which is positive? 
or are we starting to actually affect uh, the content of the gospel? Um, are we paganizing it? Are we making it not just culturally relevant, but relative? And that's a little bit of both of those things are actually going on uh, in the first few centuries of the church, just like they're going on today. So, you know, in light of that, uh, as you're saying, that influences there, I was struck because a few years ago I read that Augustine, who's a fourth century uh, A.D. Christian theologian um, that many people read, uh, a well a well respected uh, theologian uh, from that time, uh, and even has an impact today. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said this. He said that a, the Greek philosopher Plato. He he's quoted saying this. I found that whatever truth I had read in the Platonists was in the writings of Paul, combined with great exaltation of Thy grace. So I guess I have two questions. The first would be, would Paul have agreed? You know, I know that's what Augustine is saying. Would Paul have agreed with Plato? Um, or, and, and I guess my second is this, what did Augustine see in Plato that would have seen, that would have pulled out these similarities, uh, um, you know, to, to, to connect them with Paul's approach to the scriptures? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a, that's a great quote. It's, uh, it does kind of uh, point to the direction that Augustine himself was headed. Um, and he was not the first. There were several other uh, what they would call themselves Christian philosophers of a sort that were trying to find bridges between um, Christianity and the gospel and and the Greek world and Greek philosophy. And some were not very keen on this idea. The the idea, you know, Tertullian's famous quote: "What does Jerusalem have to do with Athens? You know, we have the scriptures. Yeah. We don't need anything more." And, and and so, you know, the church has always been in the in the midst of this tension. I think Augustine was trying to. Uh, create a, a system of knowledge uh, that was um, defensible, appealing, and it does affect his hermeneutic, his interpretation of scripture. He tends to spiritualize things a little bit more, um, uh, tends to emphasize the heavenly and the eternal and the spiritual and the invisible over the earthly and the bodily and the physical, and that's a problem. Um, but he did see in Plato um, things like the immortality of the soul or that that God is wholly other and transcendent and unchanging and these kinds of things that he did see as points of contact with Christianity. Uh, but many in looking back would say maybe he took it a little bit too far. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come right back because uh, something's coming up actually pretty soon. We're talking about Reformation, October 31st, Martin Luther. I, I want to move this conversation forward into kind of the Reformation era. It's been a fantastic discussion. You should stick around for more. We have a resource for you to help really unpack church history. And it's a resource that's very easy to read and to take in so that when you're done reading this really concise book, you'll have a good grasp on 2000 years of church history. It's called Two Millennia of Church History by Dr. Reynolds Showers. The book also covers the change in church doctrine as you watch the spread of orthodoxy, Romanism, and Reformation to the Great Spiritual Awakening and Liberal Theology. You'll be sure to enjoy and learn from this comprehensive church history guide. Steve, where can our listeners get their copy of Two Millennia of Church History? Yeah, to purchase Two Millennia of Church History or to learn more, you can visit our website at foiradio.org. That's foiradio.org to get this trusted resource from the Friends of Israel. Again, that's Two Millennia of Church History by Dr. Ronald Showers, foiradio.org.
Welcome back, everybody. We've got Dr. Michael Zviegel on the line right now as we're wrapping up our, our discussion here. I want to encourage you to go to Amazon.com. And there, if you just look him up, Dr. Michael Zviegel, you'll actually be able to go to an author's page and see all of the works that he has had a part in. But the two that I want to really bring home is Retro Christianity, Reclaiming the Forgotten Faith, and a practical primer on theological method, uh, table manners for discussing God, his works, and his ways. He's got many more, even urban legends of church history as well. You can find all of that at Amazon. Dot com. Uh, so, Mike, you know, we, we, we kind of are moving from Augustine and now we're moving up into and we're jumping church history a lot here because we only have so much time. But, you know, what role did Martin Luther play and the Reformation play 500 years ago in this tension between this uh, Jerusalem and Athens approach to the to the scriptures? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and uh, that whole medieval period, that thousand years that we kind of skipped over is, yeah, um, I'll, yeah it, you know, we have to. But but it is kind of important because in the Reformation period, they they the church had kind of gotten to this point where uh, philosophy and some of these influences ha- had really um, affected the state of theology, especially the late medieval period, what we'll call scholasticism. Uh, Luther and some of the early reformers responded very negatively against that, and, and for good reason. It had um, almost mixed together and made faith and na- and re- faith and reason, or um, nature and grace, almost indistinguishable. And um, they were attempting to kind of separate these out and put scripture and the earlier church kind of approach um, more primary. So I think that that we're seeing sort of the result of you know yeah. this this watered down or contamination or changes or developments or deviations that have occurred because of um, the secularizing and philosophizing perhaps of Christianity to a, an acute degree. Would you say like, if, if you had to like boil it down to, uh, yeah. would you say uh, really Martin Luther brought it back to the scriptures and, and placed, uh, you know, where in, during the reformation, where we, we, we find these core foundations of the faith you know, I, I mean, I know that he he probably wasn't liked at all by the Catholic Church, but he was really kind of rooting himself back in the scriptures. And there was a lot of when we talk about culture, we talk about history. There is the Gutenberg press that's, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the printing press that's being, uh, you know, used. So we're able to share more, connect people with the scriptures, getting the scriptures in the hands of the people that really changed the dynamic as well as, as we're talking about, you know, this transition, um, you know, as, as people are rooting themselves back in the scriptures themselves. Is is that, is that a good assessment? Yeah, no, I think it's good. And, and I'm going to kind of reach back uh, to last week's episode where we, we talked about, you know, people dropping things along the way and the printing press and the publication discovery of all of these old forgotten texts, you know, New Testament manuscripts and early Christian writings, church fathers. And they and Luther and many others looked at back at these things and said, wait a second, um, there's huge disagreements and disparagement uh, disparities between New Testament and the early church. And what I'm seeing in the last few hundred years from the scholastics and, uh, the, you know, put those two together and they kind of got in a fight and the early church in the, in the New Testament won. So that's how, how I think it would be a best way to, to kind of frame that. So not only could you go back and listen to last week's episode with Mike, Dr. Zviegel, you, you can even go back to 2017 when I had him on. Uh, and we talked about the 500 year anniversary of Martin Luther 
and the Reformation. Um, that's that's a, a 2017 episode that you can see in our archives page as well. So I encourage you to go back there. And here's the, my last question for you. And, you know, uh, uh, Mike, we're the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, so you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know where our heart is when it comes to the Jewishness of the scriptures. You know, when I see Paul at the end of the book of Acts and he's standing before Caesar in Rome and some people could almost follow the trajectory uh, of Christianity where, where, where Paul is standing, uh, you know, start, where Paul started, where he ended from Jerusalem. He goes to Judea, the, the Samaria, the, the picture of the gospel going out to the uttermost parts of the world. And, you know, because of that, because we kind of see that trajectory of Paul, you know, moving to, to, to Rome, essentially, um, you know, you can almost see Jerusalem as a bygone city of the old ways. But, you know, when I read Acts, I see Paul anxiously waiting to stand before the leader of the Gentile world, Caesar, you know, to let him know that uh, he should look towards Jerusalem because the king of kings has come and he's coming again. And Paul's in Rome on the basis of the hope of Israel as it ends in Acts. Uh, And so instead of looking away from Jerusalem, you know, I kind of want to end with this. You know, it seems like scriptures are demanding us to look back at what God will do uh, in the world through Christ in Jerusalem, I guess I, my question is this: Does my approach hold any water? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a good approach. That's my approach anyway. Uh, that that really looking back to the promises of the Messiah and the Messianic age of the Old Testament, what we see as the coming kingdom uh, at the return of Christ, the millennial kingdom in the new. It's looking at the same thing, and by preaching the coming kingdom, uh, we're really looking back at these promises. And, and, you know, maybe this is this maybe this doesn't hold water, but, you know, from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth, you know, last time I checked on a circle, the end is the beginning. So there's a sense in which, <laughs> yeah, that's probably going a little too far. But but still, the idea is, look, there's a reason why we see the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven at the restoration. God is not finished. He's got these great and glorious promises he's going to fulfill, um, not uh, in some other way than the Messiah, but through the Messiah. And these promises are going to be fulfilled one day. So I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, nobody in the New Testament abandons these promises and these expectations and this glorious restoration. What they do is they look forward and tie them to the second coming of Christ, which is what we need to do as well. Amen. We've been speaking with Dr. Michael Spiegel. Mike, it's been great to have you on. Again, I want to encourage our listeners to go to Amazon.com, and there they can find all of the um, writings and books that uh, Dr. Zviegel has put out. Uh, they're fantastic. A great way to get your yourself acquainted with church history and with orthodoxy and to see, you know, these things aren't bad, actually. They actually help define who we are as Christians. A fantastic way for us to get our understanding of how God has preserved the faith throughout church history. It's an amazing story. Uh, this is the the area of study for Dr. Spiegel, and I am thankful that he was able to take time out of his busy schedule, his busy teaching schedule and writing schedule to be able to join us. Mike, thanks again for being with us. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life and ministry of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalisher. One week, a neighbor came to my home to confront me about my faith in Christ. He was not friendly and sure he could outsmart me. He began to insult me, and then he asked, What is the greatest wisdom on earth? Since you say you worship God, tell me what the Bible says. I replied, 
You call yourself a good man who worships the Lord. You tell me what the Bible says. But I want you to give me the answer, he said. What does God want us to do? I told him I would indeed answer him from the Bible, and I said, You spend your life reading fictitious stories composed by rabbis rather than following God's word. You think you are wise, but you are far from faith in the Lord. He said, I know you believe in this one. He meant Jesus. Soon his friends arrived. Now he was even more confident. One asked, Show us about whom you have believed. Is he mentioned in the Bible? Ah, now we have come to an important point, I said. And I read to them from Isaiah 53. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Immediately they all began jumping up and down. One demanded, Where is this written in the Bible? You've made this up. If our rabbis were here, they would put you in your place. I answered, I did not write the Bible. Read this for yourself. I handed them my Bible. So they began to read. And they began to open their eyes and with time their hearts. After a while, one said, you must be a man of wisdom. So, do you have a good answer for us about wisdom? My answer is also from the Bible, I replied. So I read, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They asked me many questions and wanted to know where I learned about faith. I told them, I read the Bible. I also told them, he told his servants, Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. And then they became angry and hostile. But people who believe in this one, as you do, are no longer Israelis and have no right to be here. Is that so? You say you are such faithful Israelis. Have you fought for this country in all the many wars we have had? Of course, none of them fought in any wars because the ultra-Orthodox do not join the military. I suppose you will tell us you took part in all those wars, one said sarcastically. So I showed them my army papers. Then they began to listen more intently and ask many questions. And they also wanted to know how I came to know Jesus as my Savior. So I opened my Bible and taught them about the one who was wounded for their transgressions. We had a long conversation. It was a big surprise and a welcome one. Thank you for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to have Dr. Michael Spiegel with us today and last week. You can go to our archives and listen to today's program again or last week's episode. If you missed it, that's foiradio.org. Chris, where are we headed next week? Yeah, we're only going from one doctor to the next. Uh, today we talked with Dr. Michael Spiegel. And next week we talk with Dr. Jim Showers, who is the executive director here at the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. Uh, Dr. Showers and I actually wrote a paper not long ago together uh, called The Eroding Evangelical Christian Support for Israel, The Cause and the Cure. 
and we're going to talk for the next two weeks about that paper and, and some of the issues that are going on in, in evangelicalism when it comes to Israel and support for Israel as well. It's going to be a great discussion. Join us then. Our host and teacher is Chris Katolka. Today's program was produced by Tom Gallione. Our theme music was composed and performed by Jeremy Strong, Mike Kellogg, Red Apples of Gold, and I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. Our mailing address is FOI Radio, P.O. Box 914, Bellamore, New Jersey, 08099. Again, that's FOI Radio, P.O. Box 914, Bellamore, New Jersey, 08099. One last quick reminder to visit us at foiradio.org. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide evangelical ministry proclaiming biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while bringing physical and spiritual comfort to the Jewish people.